Hello, I'm Paul Briley, and you're listening to Off the Comma. I'm a human who cares about supporting other humans. On this podcast, we'll explore all facets of what it means to feel stuck in life. We talk with people just like us who have found themselves sitting on a comma and not knowing where to go next. We'll unpack the experience with them, where they've been stuck, what it feels like, what they experienced, and what they learned. My goal is to inspire you by seeing yourself in others. I believe that when we feel more connected and seen, magic can happen. I am so excited for this episode because I am interviewing somebody who's very special to me who has just come into my life this year and already consider her to be kind of part of my village or my tribe. And I'm really honored and excited that she was, you know, willing and interested to be on the podcast today. So um, that's kind of my little spiel is, you know, very excited to to be able to hear this story. And I'm going to turn it over to you, Delamina, and let you introduce yourself. How would you like to be known? And what would you like to share about yourself with people before we get into the, the conversation? So I guess my name is Delamina. I usually introduce myself to people as Amina and I've been using an artist name for the past four years, um, Amira Chantel, but mostly I go by Amina. I think I would consider myself um, an artist, a humanist, and a lover, a lover of all things beautiful, but all things human, but really just a lover of beautiful things, wherever they may appear. And I, I can vouch for this because I have seen the things that draw your attention and the things that you gravitate towards when we've been out about out and about in town. And so I definitely will acknowledge that with you as well. What else um, might you like people to know about you before we get into the interview? I am a singer and songwriter. I am actually currently working on a bunch of new music. I have a project that's actually ready to be released, but I'm waiting um, and I'm working on, I think, two more projects um, that are ready to be released. So the I think right now that of all of the things I do, I, I align myself, I identify myself the most with my musicianship. So, mm. well, and that's you were talking about your your artist name. And I think it's important that people know that and will they'll be able to see that in your links. Right. Is that is the name where they'll be able to find your music for now. And um and that even is a story. <laughs> but yes, um, mm. for now, my all of my social media, my website and my artist name and all of my music is under Amira Chantel. That's my artist mm -hmm. name. I do think I will return to using my, my name, Delamina, as my artist name. It, I started out as an artist under my own name, Delamina, and then I changed to a stage name and I kind of want to re-embrace my name. So for now, everything is under Amir Chantel. Um, and hopefully people become fans now and then they just follow along. So they're able to just quickly see the new transition when it happens. But either way, you know, you can find me. All you got to do is Google Amina Mwangozi <laughs> and you'll find me like there's nobody else with my name. And people always Google me. I'm not a celebrity by any means, but anytime I go work with people um, that know I'm a singer or musician, they always Google me. And even though my music is not under my name, it still always comes up. So you can find me. 
Yeah, just um, just Google me. Wonderful. And you said I'm not a a, a, a celebrity, yet, and I wanted to say yet, <laughs> yet, oh. right? And an acknowledgement for you, Amina, as well, because you know earlier I said I, I've seen you and the 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 beautiful things that you gravitate towards. You described yourself as a lover of beautiful things, and my personal experience with your music is there is your expression of beautiful things, the beautiful things that come out of you. So I just yeah. wanted to acknowledge that. So well, I love that. <laughs> yeah. That well, sense. I. I am so looking forward to our conversation today. Like, like with all of my guests, you know, you and I haven't talked about what you're going to be sharing with us, and and I get to to learn about your experience with sitting on a comma and getting off the comma fresh, just like everyone else is. And um, you know, as we've talked about, we'll we'll go through the same five questions that we do in every episode. But before we get started, I'd love to know from you what intention would you have for yourself today it's hard to know what to expect but i think that in general anytime i speak in front of people or sing in front of people or convey any messages i just think i want to be understood Mm. Mm. that's powerful be seen be heard be understood so common so Mm -hmm. what everybody wants or what what i believe everybody wants right so yeah well my intention is to help you uh, you know, hold space for that intention. And also that whatever you share with us today, someone out there will hear a little bit of them of themselves in your story and they'll feel a sense of connection, potentially feel a little less alone with whatever they're experiencing. And that hopefully that leads them to being inspired and feeling empowered. And that, as I say so often with this part of uh, the podcast, when people feel that sense of connection that they will treat themselves a little bit lighter that day and perhaps treat somebody else a little bit lighter as a result of that as well. So that's my intention. All right. Well, let's jump in with the first question. So first question is, Amina, where have you found yourself sitting on a comma in your life? Well, since I've already introduced that I'm a songwriter, I think I'll approach this from the perspective of being a songwriter. And I'll say that also because um, I have told people, and I'll say that I think that the the best way you can, if you want to know who I am, the best way you can learn that is by listening to my music. Even myself, sometimes I'll go back and listen to my own music and I'm like, oh, oh, I learned something new. So I think Mm -hmm. that a good way to approach talking about where I've been stuck on a comma is to talk about it from a perspective, a musical perspective. And that is every writer or anyone who's familiar with a writer knows that people can get stuck in writing. So they call it writer's block. Mm. I found um, that in songwriting, the inability to express um, myself usually means that at some point I'm not being clear with myself internally about where I am, or there's there's some kind of blockage that's preventing myself from being being able to identify with myself. Um, And I think that that is reflected in what's going on in my life at that time. So even if I may not be aware of what's happening in my life at that time, it will always manifest itself in the songwriting process. And that's where I can find myself kind of sometimes being stuck. It's like, I'm either being untruthful about with myself about something that I'm experiencing or, or I don't know where I want to go from here. Like, I don't know what I want to say and I don't know where I want to be. And so I, Mm -hmm. I find very often um, that, when either I'm not um, being honest with myself about where I am in life, or if I'm just not experiencing enough things to have enough to to put out, that's where I find myself getting stuck. So well, and so I've already learned something from you, and and what I'm hearing you say is that 
when you, one of the ways that you can identify any type of a sense of being stuck is through your creative expression and that it shows up for you there very clearly there. And that seems like, and, and by all means, anytime I reflect anything back, correct me where I'm wrong, but it seems like also whether intentioned or not, your creative process can also show you exactly where or in what way you might be suck, stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really I mean, that seems like that's a, a pretty big deal, especially for somebody who creates things to also put out into the world. So is there, well, let me back up. So is there a particular instance of this happening or is there a particular pattern where you notice this happening? Um, it actually is primarily in interpersonal relationships. I, and that's actually also primarily what I write about. <laughs> I don't know if that's because of that, but if I'm just, I think that the majority of my being stuck happens in communication with the community at large, whether it's in romantic relationships or a platonic relationships or familiar relationships. Um, a lot of that stuck is that is something like there's a barrier between the inside of me and the outside. And that um, that's where I get stuck more often than not. Like I find, I find that our relationships are reflections of us. Um, and so in, in coming into relationship with other people, we learn more about ourselves. And the stuck point usually is either A, I'm meeting someone and learning about them and I'm learning something about myself that I don't enjoy, that I don't like, or I'm walking up against the wall of, just as we introduce, actually, it's almost a full circle moment right now when I said I want to be understood. It's like, whatever they're reflecting back to me, I'm like, you don't get what I'm saying. You don't get who I am. You don't. You are not fundamentally understanding me. And then sometimes I'm being faced with that. Maybe they're understanding exactly who I am and I'm not understanding me. So it's just like a lot of um, that feedback that you get when you're in community with people. And that's where I get stuck the most. And that's actually is most reflective in my music. So I think it's just that it's a whole cycle of understanding, being understood and being able to like actualize into who you are, to become who you are, to shape who you are, to create re re and recreate and to make who you are and to allow yourself to just be as well. Like, mm. so all of those things, um, is, is, those are, I get most stuck in, in relationships. You said something. First of all, I want to acknowledge that because, you know, relationships are so integral to humans and, and humanity. Right. And and they can be this this source of great joy and the source of great yeah. frustration sometimes. Right. But I really resonated with what you said when that that one particular example where it's like they're not understanding me at all. And then suddenly there's this, wait a minute, what if they're understanding me better than I do? And then that creates this question point. Yeah. Like I can really relate to that. When when that happens, I'd love to just dig a little deeper here and, and you know, as far as you want to go. But when you're in a situation like that, they're not understanding me. Wait a minute, maybe they're understanding me more than I mm -hmm. thought I did. What What happens for you in that moment, in that space? Most of the time. I almost feel like that I don't realize it until I've already recognized that part. So later on, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, I remember there's a song I wrote uh, one time called Wax and Wayne. And I, a lot of songs that I write are very reflective of something that's happening at the time. I can mm -hmm. tell you who inspired it or what inspired it. Like, 
or internal experience. It could be a, or a specific relationship. But that song, the subject matter of the song is the first line is watching the sunrise. And that's literally what I was doing. I was watching the sunrise playing my guitar. But the message of the song was like not relevant to anything that I was going through at the time. But then a few years later, it was exactly relevant. And I'm like, oh my goodness. You know what I mean? Like, I almost feel like there was either like a premonition in my head of like, oh, experience to come or that I was that I was coming into recognition at that point of some aspect of myself that I wasn't going to be able to identify until much later in life. So I don't usually recognize it in the John Mayer has a song called um, Clarity, and he has a line in the song that says, by the time I recognize this moment, this moment will be gone. That's exactly how I feel about it. It's like I don't experience it in the moment. I can never really mm. identify it until I look back at it. And I've already been through it. I've already moved through it. I've already recognized that's part of myself. And then I'm able to analyze like, oh, this is what was going on. This person did. They were they saw me. They did. I just wasn't able to see that. And now I can see it. And I can I can't even tell if they're if I became that according to their perception of it. Because that's another thing. There's this book I was partially read called One Um One Hundred Thousand, One Nun and One Hundred Thousand. And it kind of like is a novel, but at the same time, it's a philosophical approach to um existence in that a new version of you is created every time you meet somebody else because who you are through their eyes is now created. And that person couldn't even exist without that person. So however you define me, if I'm saying you're not understanding me, maybe it's you created me, that you created that version of me. And I didn't identify it with it, but then now I do. I've embraced that version of me. And I almost feel like when you embrace that version of yourself, it happens when you embrace that person. So you extended your community, you've extended what you can recognize as your identity. And every time you learn something new, you learn how much you don't know. So it's just like, I don't know. It's it's one of those things that you can't pin. I don't think I can even pinpoint the moment. I can just reflect on it. I can just look back and say, oh, this happened. And I don't know if the chicken or the egg came first, you know, as it were. So this this is this is beautiful and it's complex. There's so much packed in here and it, we won't have enough time to go all the directions I would love to. And I'm just so grateful that you and I will have as much time as we want after this podcast. Right. <laughs> but, but for the purpose of, of our listeners, like you started by saying, you know, when when I find myself stuck, it's usually revealed to me in my creative process when I'm writing, when I'm composing. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you shared with us about how, you know, where and when this occurs is usually in relationships and it has to do with being understood and, and almost in a way, correct me where I'm off, also being defined. What I'm hearing you describe though is this openness to questioning, openness to perspectives and openness to processing through it like this isn't a we had a conversation you said this i said this we don't dis- we don't agree and now i've made my decision and moved on mm-hmm. there's this this right. whole kind of life cycle of identity and exploration and curiosity and questioning and acceptance mm-hmm. and and so much richness in this kind of cycle at least that's what i think i'm hearing Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll stop there because it's yeah. just a reflection. What What's your reaction to that or what do you add or correct? No, I agree. 
I, I know, you, you know, I don't know if people are listening before they probably know you asked like a certain set of pre-screening questions, but I said, how would I d- define myself? And I'm like a creative and analyst and um, actually professionally, I'm an analyst, but I'm only a, an analyst professionally because I'm good at it. Like I wasn't trained to be an analyst. So that whole process is actually something that's kind of intuitive for me. Um mm-hmm. And I'm processing the world and I'm experiencing it and I'm ruminating. And so like I've been called an overthinker almost all my life and it felt like offensive to me. But now it doesn't really feel offensive to me. I'm able to I got a compliment from a friend of mine because I she would bring some questions to me um, about dating. We're real kind of, you know, oh, she's dating and everything. She brings some concerns and everything. And I would give her this rundown and everything. And she said, you have a, like, a real gift of being able to like help like you can see the forest and the trees. You know what I mean? Like you can, and for me, when I'm looking at like this really very specific, minute thing, you're able to open it up for me. And I'm like, you know, I appreciate that compliment because that's built on the kind of thinking that I do. It's built on the kind of like processing that I do. So that does come back to kind of like haunt me a little bit in some interpersonal relationships, because I think that it can affect like boundaries because maybe I don't, I always think everything is still open because I'm still processing i'm still analyzing and sometimes you need to cut and run (laughs) you need to not be analyzing you need to go back and analyze but um that is a a big part of actually why i why i create because it's a part of my analytical process and so you know a lot of people are like some people are left and right brain some people are more logical analytical thinkers and some people are creative thinkers i'm both all in at the same time and actually this analysis feeds the creativity and then the creativity feeds the analysis and it just kind of cycles itself. You said what I was actually thinking earlier was it seems your creative process is a form of analysis for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and the other thing that kind of comes up for me when you describe this, this whole state, if you will, is analytical, but I don't really hear you describing attaching to the outcomes of your analysis. Like at no point so far have you said, I make an analysis and then I make a decision and boom, boom, that's it. I'm locked in. Like, Mm. it just seems like it's just a part of the process. I haven't always been like that though. Okay. That's maturity. Um, And that's kind of getting off that comma as well, (laughs) because the reality about that is that a comma is a pause, right? Um, but that means that you have to go forward and you can't go forward if you're stuck in a decision. Like we're not on a period. Period is the end of the sentence. You know what I mean? We're going forward. But for me, I I definitely was not always that way. I could make an analysis and now this is a thing, but everything, almost everything is mutable. You know what I mean? Our brains are, our brains are highly plastic. Like we underestimate how much we can drastically change our identities. Like you don't have to be who you were you don't, you can choose to be totally different. And so if I made an analysis on all the information I had, it could have been current and accurate at that time, but I don't have to remain that person. But if I maintain that old data, and if I keep that and keep applying that to who I am now, it's inconsistent. And so I'm always subject to change. Like I can come to an analysis and I can just like, be like, okay, this is what things are, but I don't want to be like that anymore. (laughs) So if I just got stuck there, it's, it, it just, it's not the end of the story. We're, we're mm. not at the end of the story. And you you never end a story with a comma. So <laughs> I know I'm not at the end of the story. I, I love that. Like, I should hire you to do commercials, right? But, but it's... <laughs> oh, y'all hire me for copywriting. I'm good. 
<laughs> well, we'll get that in the show notes, right? Like you, you said this, this thing about the comma, which I think is just so valuable and so important because that's what led me here too for my journey, right? Like this whole message about sitting on a comma and off the comma and so forth is that it is just a pause. It's not the end of the sentence. And whether, you know, whether it's you have to move forward, you choose to move forward, or I've had some guests who say, hell no, I'm sitting on this comma for a little while. I need a break, right? Like, Ultimately, though, it's not the end of the story. And it means yeah. there is more to be written. There is more to come. And that, you know, how does that affect our our view and maybe our our sense of hope or possibility, right? I, I love that yeah. reflection that you just shared. And, and in that, I wanted to come back because you said, I wasn't always this way. This is maturity. I've learned that you, you can change. You don't have to stick with a particular identity. Mm-hmm. How does that tie into what you shared with us earlier where you said, because this was fascinating. I've never had heard anybody else share this before, where you said maybe that person actually created this new identity. Oh my goodness. So that's actually the first time that I explored that idea. So it's not something I've ever fleshed out. So I would be fleshing that out right now. Um, but I've I've danced around it for a while. It's because um, and I actually realized this a few times in like um casual dating, when we like date people, we were finding we're actually learning new versions of ourselves. So it's like, I, um, I gravitate towards you. And then the, all the love that you experience in a relationship is, is your own love. It's just your own love that you're able to access maybe because they tagged in that part of you. And so I've always been of the impression that a different part of you is activated by different people, but I have never thought maybe they created it. But in conjunction with the philosophy that each new time you um, meet a new person, a new version of yourself is created um, in that way, because what it's it's a, it's a mirror. It's almost like the eternal mirror thing, because when they perceive you in a way that nobody else has been able to perceive you and it's filtered through their experiences. But once they've perceived you in that way, they reflect that on you and you are able to perceive yourself how they perceive you and similarly perceive them. So when they perceived you that time, and this is why I say like a lot of times when we are like, when we connect with people, we're like, you really get me. You really identify with me. I, I, there's, that's only half the story. I think what happens actually is that we gravitate towards people who see us the same way we see ourselves how we already see ourselves and also typically maybe enjoy the way that we see ourselves. So whenever someone describes us in a way that's incongruent with how we see ourselves, Mm. then we reject that. We're telling them that they don't know us, but maybe that is true. Maybe they created that us and it's up to us whether to accept it or not. And so what happens in community is if that person remains a part of your community, that probably will become a part of who you are. But if they don't, like if you completely reject that version of you, you can actually kill that part of you and Mm. never experience it because you would reject the person that's reflecting that back to you. And then you would never receive that input. You would never see that version of yourself. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here because I've like never thought of this concept. So I'm like trying to approach it. I love that. And that's what this is for, right? Like this is your story, your experience, your platform today. And I love that because if you're experiencing that and spitballing it right now, I guarantee you it's because there is someone out there who probably is thinking about it or is on the brink of thinking about it and that this is going to reach somebody. I mean, it's already reached me. 
you know, this concept of mirrors is such a, a big thing. And I know it's been talked about in books and literature, you know, time immemorial, and it's uh, really talked about a lot in um, wellness and, and and mental health circles today. But, you know, I'm a firm believer in everybody's a mirror, right? And like you said, right, the mirrors that look like what we see ourselves as we're drawn to, the ones that don't look like us at all may horrify or scare us. And I'm kind of of the opinion that it's because whatever we see in the mirror, we recognize as us having the capacity for, right? Yeah. And so if I see something that's really attractive in that mirror, then of course I'm drawn to it because of course that's me, right? Yeah. If I see something really frightening in that mirror, I'm repelled by it. But what we don't really celebrate as a culture is that that too is possibly you, right? And so what I'm describing though, what I'm hearing you describe Amina, in this concept of I am created by and or enhanced by or built by all the relationships in my life that I think is an important distinction for me to ask you is it sounds like in what you describe, though, you continue to have the agency in the identity that gets built through these relationships. What you're not yeah. describing is, oh, you know, every time I meet somebody, I kind of take on their traits and I don't know who I am. That's mm -mm. not what I'm hearing you describe. I'm the editor of my story. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, like nobody gets to make a final call. I do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's fine if there are collaborators, Um, you know, it's, it's actually fine. And it's actually, I think the best in humanity, if there are collaborators in creativity, I mean, I'm at, back to being a songwriter. I, I, most of the songs I've ever written, I written, I've written by myself, right? Um, but everyone who's mm -hmm. ever seen, heard a big pop hit, has heard a song that was co-written. It was written by several people, at least two or three people, because that collaboration of ideas gives you access to something that you would never have been able to create on your own. So I think it actually is beneficial mm -hmm. that who we are is built by the people around us. And that's why it's important to be, you know, deliberate about who you surround yourself with, because it's not it, it, even now it's it's like that. We've always talked about it from the aspect of you might take on their character traits, but that's maybe not even what's actually happening. It's again, that concept of they might they're bringing out maybe aspects of you that already exist or nurturing aspects of you that already exist. And you get to decide mm -hmm. which aspects of you that you want to nurture and which ones you want to kill. That's up to you as the editor of your story. You actually do yeah. decide where commas go. I am an editor and I strip commas out of people's work all the time because a comma doesn't go here. But wait, you need a comma. Sit down. <laughs> you need to put a comma there. Take a break. Mm. Take a break. And then go, you know what I mean? So at the end of the day, yeah, people have input, but I have the final say. And so, yeah, you don't, it's not just like people magically rub off on you. That's not real. So you can actually spend time around people who have character traits that you don't want to adopt and you can choose not to adopt them. That's your choice. Mm. It's just, you, you do realize that the more that you're exposed to certain things is that's, that's your input and your output is almost always reflective of your input. So, yeah, but no, I don't just take on people's traits. I am my own person. In fact, what actually happens, what I believe happens is that more often than not, we always end up gravitating towards people who are um, extensions of our, our, our energy and ourselves um, for better or for worse. <laughs> so um, a lot of the kind of things that we have, um, maybe we attract somebody that uses a certain aspect of us for fuel. 
that's not maybe good, right? You might end up in toxic relationships. And I want people to also understand that just because you end up in a toxic situation doesn't mean you were toxic. Sometimes a toxic person needs fuel and they're using you as fuel. That doesn't, that's not a reflection of you per se, but it is a reflection that you were able to be that type of fuel and that type of energy. Because, you know, some, you know, materials are very combustible and some are not. So you can start a fire with, you know, wood, fabric or whatever, not with metal. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, we, we're the editor. We, we get to decide what the story ultimately says. So I, I was going to say a fire will burn, will burn any paper. It doesn't make you bad paper. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So we, we've gone into a such great narrative here and I want to kind of come back so, to the second question and maybe there isn't anything to share at this point on the second question, but I'm going to ask it. So you, you described, you know, that when you're sitting on a comma, you kind of discover it and find out sometimes later when you're in your creative process. And then we've spent quite a bit of time talking a little bit about that creative process and the types of things that you, um, you know, kind of encounter this the most with. The second question is, when you think about where, when, or how you sit on this comma, what does that create for you? I mean, sometimes you're just going to feel like despair because like, you know, if, if for me, if I had to name the comma, I would say that it is just a uh, isolation because if my, if my being stuck is typically relational, then if, if I'm having a hard time crossing the relational barrier, that means that there's a level of isolation. And so if I'm not, if I'm stuck there, there can be despair. Like the, it may feel like, okay, well, like nobody loves me, nobody cares for me, or it may feel like nobody gets me, nobody understands me. And it's like, am I just built wrong? Am I just like, is <laughs> something just wrong with me? Or sometimes I could be on the flip end and be like, I'm amazing. Everybody else sucks. What is wrong with everybody? And then that's a different type of like experience with it because like, then it's like, y'all, you don't want to be in community with people that you think are, there's something's wrong with them. So they like, either way, I think the end result is you stay in isolation, which just how that, how it presents itself. But yeah, that's, that's what it, what it feels like. It's like, it's like a, I'm on an island by myself. And I, ironically, the only way to, to get off of it is to connect in some way. Um, that ends up how be the, the a song I might write or, you know, uh, I might have to to reach out in a way or I might have to say, OK, what why, why am I isolating myself? Because they're not isolating me. You know, why am I isolating myself? Mm -hmm. And am I protecting myself from something that I'm not realizing? Or do I need to do I need to be alone? Do I need to be like spending this time consuming and, and taking in and re, re nurturing myself so that I do have something to offer the world around me? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure when it started happening, but it happened as long as I remember as being an, a person, as being a human, um, that I've felt pretty alone in the world. So I think that's probably why I started creating stuff, because I could create the world that I wanted, I could create the world that I wanted to see. But you can actually practically do that, though. It doesn't just have to be in a song. So that's kind of what was coming up for me is it sounded like what you were describing, and you kind of even said it directly. Within your form, your art form, music, you can create those connections. And, and they may not necessarily be all the connections that you need, or that may not be the end of the connections. But like, that seems like it's an important part of your process because what i've heard you describe is sounding like a process here's here's the interaction i have and now 
kind of it, 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 whatever happened, you know, good, bad, right or wrong and or none of those labels, right, left me feeling a certain way. And when I did land in the feeling of isolation for whatever reason, I went to my art mm-hmm. and through my art, I could process it. You even said maybe I needed that downtime, right? Yeah. So it seems like perhaps there's a process at play there that yeah. seems to be serving you in terms of the product that you produce namely your art form. Yeah. um, I've always been a creative person. So when I was younger, I would write books and then, um, and they, I actually thought I was going to be a novelist when I was a kid. And then I used to write, I used to draw, I used to paint. I, so I would write stories and I would illustrate them as well. And then I started writing essays. And so I would just write essays. And so I remember some of the earliest, the first, one of the earliest books I wrote, um, was like a loose like interpretation of the story of Venus, the goddess of love. Um, so I think I was always searching for that thing, that same thing, and it just to be loved. And then um, the first time I wrote a poem was when my grandma died. And so I wrote, I started writing poetry at 18. And then the first time I wrote a song was a little bit after I got divorced. So it's like every time that I had a big like, experience that maybe I couldn't process internally that is would be how I processed it and also like I said I would reflect back and I would listen to older songs that I've written and I've actually learned a lot about my values from things that I've written because I'm like oh okay this I believe this is something I believe that I didn't know I believed everything I write is not true to fact like some of it is a fictionalized version of, of facts but still that tells me what I value because if I fictionalized it in that way that's something that came from inside of my head. When I left a relationship with a person who I'm about 98% sure was a narcissist, I did a lot of research on narcissism. And I also um, was like for a while, like falling for a lot of people who didn't, I don't think I, I liked them. They didn't like me back. So I was really trying to understand the phenomena the phenomenon of love, of romantic love. But then it led me down this rabbit hole of research of just the the psychological um beliefs about what love is and is it a real thing is that some say it's an emotion some say it's actually a drive like a hunger drive in that way that you a drive Mm -hmm. it is different from an emotion in that it seeks you it it makes you take an action so drive for hunger will make you take the action to feed yourself so that you sustain life so that um there are some psychologists that that believe that love is a drive it's something that makes us make decisions to preserve the life of humanity um, and then some psychologists say that um, love, especially romantic love, is a, a creation of society and it's not a biological impetus. So, I mean, I was like trying to figure I was trying to be scientific with it, trying to figure out what love was. Does it exist? Am I capable of it? And as I was doing that research, I was writing a lot of songs about the kind of love that I would want to experience. So I would write these. Uh, well, I started writing most of my songs at first were really heartbreak songs because that's all I was ever able to experience. But then I started writing these amazingly beautiful love songs. And I realized looking back, I've never experienced a love like this, but that is what it what I wanted to be. So I wrote my story. So now I've written my story. I know what love looks like to me. If, if, if I'm going to experience it, it needs to look like my mm-hmm. story. You know what I mean? Like I wrote that already. I know what I wanted to feel like. And so I think that each time I would write, I was creating the world that I, I was creating the world as I wanted to be. I was shaping the world as I wanted to be. But the interesting thing about music is you are not only 
theoretically shaping the world, you are physically shaping the world because you're physically shaping sound waves. Even now as we speak, you are. But I'm just speaking now and affecting certain frequencies because there's only certain frequencies that I'm even using right now and talking. When you create a song and if you're creating melodies and then you're creating harmonies and you have all of these harmonics and stuff and then you have different instruments that have different timbres, you're literally affecting the physical world. So I am creating the world that I, as I want it to be, like in a mm -hmm. very physical way. Now, that is not maybe translate into the fantasy where like now, you know, it's like now the world exists in that way. But you never know. Maybe it does. Maybe it could. Because I am when I moved to Sacramento um, this last year, I said verbally to all my friends that saw me off. I said, I'm going to be a new person when I go there. I'm going to do different things. You're not going to recognize me. And I said that with my words, I physically moved air around. I've changed the physical world and I am a different person. I am engaging with the world differently. I'm able to see things differently. I've made different decisions for me. I'm happier than I've been in decades. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that I decided I'm done with that. And I shaped the world by my song, like, you know. I, I, I love every part of that because there's so much wisdom in there for yourself, as you you basically said, you're creating this for you, but you don't have to be a musician. You don't have to be a painter. You don't have to be a right. chef. We're all artists in some way. And we can all, you didn't use these exact words, but it's exactly what you said. We can speak our reality into existence and mm -hmm. we can speak a new reality into existence. Absolutely. It's one of the things we, you know, we really support people in, in coaching spaces is we don't give you the answers, but we help you make declarations, right. And state the outcomes that you want and state how you're going to go get there and, and state intentions. And that it, it's each of us as individuals can do that. Stay, say it out loud. Right. And the power that it has. Yeah. The thing that separates humans, our consciousness, the things that separate us is not is not really consciousness. It's the ability, it's consciousness because it, consciousness creates its ability, but it's the ability to agree upon a story. So that's what makes societies and cultures and things like that. You agree upon a story. We all agree. So like other animals are just fact-driven. You know what I'm saying? If there's not a banana there, you can't tell them there's a banana there. But we mm -hmm. can, you can tell someone there's a banana there and you can lie. I mean, like there's a movie called The Invention of Lying. Have you ever watched it? No, I don't think so. Okay. It's going on the list. It's, it's an amazing movie, Um, but it's essentially in a world set in a world where lies had never existed. So everybody only tells the truth and that one person was able to lie. So they're basically able to now say things that exist that don't. Mm -hmm. But that's actually the fundamental like thing that makes us human and why we are organized like I, I think it was a TED talk. I'm going to find it and I'll give it to you at another time. And you can probably share it mm -hmm. like on your email mm -hmm. list. Um, when you share your newsletter, you can tap back into this and um, you can elaborate because it's really cool. It's like the reason why humans are such a predatory force against all other um, creatures is that we do agree upon a story. Like you can tell a thousand men to go sign up for the army and you can give them a purpose and they can do whatever and nothing that you tell them has to ever be true but we've agreed that this is the story mm -hmm. and this is how we're moving because of this story mm -hmm. and so like that that being the thing is that you can that's how you can change your life is to tell yourself a new story like being a new story. I love fairy tales. I watched Once Upon a Time and it's like a, you know, real life retelling of old fairy tale stories. But like 
at some point they would just write the story over. They would write a curse. Somebody would want to change their their part of the story. So they would write a curse and everyone's story changed. And like, write write a new story. Like you never, you know. Yeah. It's it's not it's not just a way to get another season out of a show on TV. Like you can literally get another season out of your own show. Out of your right? life. Yeah. Come yeah. on. Main character energy. Yes. I love <laughs> Main it. Main character energy. So our third question is, you know, when you look back at what you've described and and your your process that you go through when sitting on a comma, like what has changed for you as a result of sitting on this comma? Well, I think I've become I'm not, I don't find myself to be as isolated as I ever used to be. And I feel like that the reason that I don't think that I could have really gotten to this part of my, my life if I hadn't taken that pause and kind of reflected on where did I just come from? How did I get there? How did I end up at this place? And where, what do I want to say next? You know what I mean? Like the unique thing about commas, this is the editor brain coming on though, but the unique thing about commas is that the point that they arrive, you, the following part, like the dependent clause, it could either support the clause that came before, or it can refute the clause that came before, or um, it can elaborate on the, like, but it doesn't, if you if you have a, a sentence that can be separated separated by a comma, that means that whatever happens after it does not necessarily have to go in the expected direction. So if there's a sentence that cannot be separated by a comma, you actually don't have any choice of where that sentence can go. Those things have to be consistent with each other. You know what I mean? So Amina went to the store. You cannot separate that sentence by a comma. So I have to go to the store. I have no choice. But Amina mm. went to the store. Then she went to then she went to the fest, the festival well mm-hmm. you know what i mean i can do something completely different than go to the store i have a choice in the matter or amina went to the store but then she decided not to buy anything now the opportunities are even that much more limitless so if there is a comma you get to go somewhere else but if there's not a, if the sentence doesn't support a comma you're, you have to go to the store. You have no other choice. This this is gold right here because, so what? first of all, let me reflect what you're saying. If there's a comma there, where you can go is pretty much limitless. Yeah. You can go anywhere. Yeah. And, and the reason I'm reacting so powerfully to this is because my experience as a coach and with working with other people, with guests on this podcast, and even my own experience is that when we're sitting on a comma, Often the feeling that we're experiencing is that there is nowhere to go. Yeah. And that's the irony of the experience is sometimes you have to kind of be okay with sitting down for a mm-hmm. bit and like rest on the comma to to get over this. There's no place else because mm-hmm. the sheer fact that you're on a comma mm-hmm. is the evidence that there is anywhere you can go. Exactly. And if you exactly. the fewer the fewer choices you feel like you have, the more choices you actually do have. Mm-hmm. You just don't know it. And you're sitting there. Yeah. So it's a way that I would approach even writing a song. It's it's the difference between deciding whether this phrase is gonna be like a two phrase um or a two um part phrase, or if it's just a one line phrase and then we're going to the next thing. You know what I'm saying? Like you there are so many more options. It's you're so much more flexible with commas than you are with periods. At the end of a period, you've been you've said what you needed to say, and that's it's it's a hard stop. It's actually literally called a hard stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so in grab you know graphic marks, commas are soft soft stops, and periods are hard stops. Mm-hmm. It's a soft stop. So you're not you're you're gonna go forward, and you can go anywhere. Like from a comma, like I love commas. Also, another thing to note 
is as an editor, you know that commas are the most in like improperly used punctuation ever. They're either pausing where they're not supposed to pause or um, not pausing where they're supposed to pause. Mm -hmm. So you you I mean, I like actually love your podcast. In fact, <laughs> it's just because the the whole topic is like you can there's so many things you can extrapolate just from just being on or off the comma. Like it's just so much that. Well, that can people, be said. people will resist the commas, right? Because our society says you, you, no slowing down, no stopping. And if you're stopping, you're stuck. Mm -hmm. um, so people resist the commas to begin with. And then um, and then one of the big debates, as you've already said, internally in our minds is, you know, should I keep going? Is there something else I'm supposed to be doing? Or wait a minute, should do I need to just like slow down and take a rest? The point is, until you decide whether that comma is in the right place, when you're on a comma, you do get to look at it. Yeah. Like edit, like edit. Edit doesn't mean fix it. Edit means look at it, study it, and just determine if it's serving you, right? Mm -hmm. Or the story, if it's serving the story. Yes. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not just you. It's the grand it's the grand scheme. Like, I mean, we, we could just worry about how things are serving us, but we just still always have to be aware that we are a small part in a large, a greater society. Like, so you don't really just get to serve yourself, but you do get to be the main character of your story and you do want to serve the story like don't you hate when you're watching the show and you watch a character like progress and then in the fourth season they completely kill the character arc so you want to serve the story you know what i mean so that's what that's where you decide where to put the comma it's not about the individual it's not about the character it's about the story that you were telling that you want to tell don't serve yourself at the expense of the story that's such an important reminder that's that's such a beautiful and important reminder because it's easy to get caught up in our own agendas and our own outcomes and in our own points of views, worldviews and perspectives. And, and I don't believe what you're saying is that everybody should sacrifice themselves and da, da, da. But it's like, well, I was just listening to something else today. Oh my gosh. I think I commented on it, but what was it? It was, um, it was one of my friends, uh, LinkedIn posts and, uh, I don't remember the details, but the point was that the thing that you may be holding back on because you don't believe it's like accepted this part of you, right? Maybe it's a trade, it's your humor or your feelings or whatever. That thing that you're withholding isn't necessarily just that you need to bring it forward because it will serve you, but other people probably are desperately waiting for you to bring mm -hmm. that forward. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have a song called Amira's Song. I've not recorded it yet, but I played it live. The first time I played it live, I've, I've, I've never wanted to play it live because it was a factual story about, about my abuse. And I never wanted to play it because I could be practicing the song and I would start crying and I didn't want to cry in front of anybody. But I played it in a writer's round one time. And um, someone came to me afterwards and she was like, "I this I, this is what I needed to hear tonight. And I can't tell you how much I needed this. And if nobody else in the world ever heard that song again, and that was the only person that heard it, the person that that heard it need that needed to hear it, and they got it, and they got it from me, and it was my telling my story, mm -hmm. you know. So it's not just for you. And I, I laugh about that idea interview because it was about a song that I wrote, and it's like you know the the question was how do you balance you know dealing with your own story, but also like acting in a way as an avatar for the other people who are going through it, you know, where do you think your social responsibility lies? It's not just as a songwriter. We all have a social um, responsibility to each other that we do no harm. 
that we, you know, um, help to carry each other's burdens and that we sh we share. And I guess like I hear I'm coming back to relationships. That's, that's the biggest thing for me. Philosophically, I, I consider myself a humanist. And so everything I'm thinking about is how do how do we reduce harm for humanity? And all of that means I don't believe in self-sacrifice because why are you harming yourself? So there's when I'm saying to not advance yourself over the story, I'm also not saying to sacrifice yourself for the story either. You know what I mean? Right. Do no harm. Not just don't harm other people. Don't harm yourself either. You know, so. Well, it sounds like what you're saying to to go back to your earlier metaphor is edit your own story and edit it proudly and be aware of the fact that your story doesn't exist in a vacuum. Your story will impact other people, too. Exactly that. And so kind of. In, in fact, your story is impacted by other people. Yes. Like you, your story didn't happen by itself. Like you didn't you didn't come to exist without the input of other people yeah you know okay so one more question and then we'll go to our last one so i think you've already shared a lot of this but i'll invite you to add to this what have you learned about yourself as a result of sitting on this comma i learned that i am a realist but i'm a hopeful um i've learned that I am tenacious. I, I think a, a lot of people have used certain excuses of things that the ways they've been harmed and things that have been done to them to be bitter, to be angry, to close themselves off to the possibility of community, to close themselves off to the possibility of love. Um, and the thing I celebrate the most about myself is that I keep, I just dust myself off like, okay, we're <laughs> getting up again, I'm getting up here's my love <laughs> try not to hurt it this time you know so the thing that i've learned the most is that i that's i i almost think that i value the most in life i don't necessarily i didn't choose to be here but since i have to be here the thing i value the most in life is it, our interpersonal relationships and being able to have mm -hmm. um true strong relationships with people I believe see me and people who who I believe reflect the parts of me that I love the most and that I will seek mm. that no matter what happens. I might have to take a break. I might have to dust my wounds, but I'm going to get out there. I'm going to seek that community. I've learned that about myself and I love that about myself. Like it's my favorite thing about myself besides my gorgeous looks. Yes. <laughs> it's pe People will that see that in the thumbnail. But unfortunately, they won't get to see the video, but I get to enjoy That's it. That's too so. bad for them. I know, right? <laughs> yes. I think, you know, I love the way I love that I love. I love that I'm gorgeous as well, but I said it's low hanging fruit. Like I did nothing to look like I look. If you have, my parents had compatible DNA and it just worked out. But when people make compliments to me about my capacity for grace and my um, capacity for caring and my kindness, like I'm over the moon. I'm like, Mm. thank you you know you could have said nothing yeah. kinder to me today you could have given me a hundred dollars and it wouldn't have meant as much you know well but, but it's it's also evidence of you continuing to speak into existence that which matters to you and is important to you right so even when you say i look good well everybody should be able to say that everybody should say that right because we're speaking that into reality speaking it into existence i will yeah. hope everybody likes what they see in the mirror and if you don't you know Try a new eyeliner. It's a comma. You know? It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And and it's a comma, right? Yeah. It's not a period. So many of us look in the mirror and yeah. see periods. Last question. What does getting off the comma look like for you? Uh, this time, 
the best thing I can say is I would love to know myself well enough to easily find my tribe. Well, and that that also seems to tie into and bridge the arc back to your intention, right? Which is being understood. So knowing myself and finding my tribe and tribe of people who understands me as well, it sounds like. I think that's that fundamental aspect of being understood is being able to understand yourself, but also being able to understand other people. You know, understanding is one of those things that you get more of the more you do. Like you have to understand to be understood. And because you because you understand that everything is interconnected, right? For instance, the, in my office, like the um, software we use to compose the journal um, is heavily code-based. So a lot of people who have prior training and like building websites and stuff, you have experience in that. You know what I mean? You have kind of an interconnected, like you're able to do that because you already have a little bit of experience, you know? So that mm-hmm. understanding portion is similar in that way. The more you understand, the more you can identify with other things because there's gotta be a connection somewhere. Like nothing is like just an isolated thing. So just understand more. And I bet the more you understand, the more you can become understood because not only is it an other people's responsibility to learn of you, it's your responsibility to teach yourself, teach them of you. You know, and if you understand how they learn, then you can teach it to them in a in a way that they can receive it properly. So again, like understanding is something that you can't just sit there and say, I want to be understood. You know, you have to go seek, you have to go understand, you have to go, you know, you have to be active, proactive in that, that. And so for me, I've learned that actually. <laughs> so like, it's never, I, I've always been extremely shy and extremely reserved. Once I get to know people, I could be super comfortable, but I have to realize that everybody's not going to come to me. And if I wait on everybody to come to me to build relationships, I would never have any. So I have to kind of swallow that fear and go seek a relationship. I have to say, hey, I like you. I like your dress today. That's a very pretty dress. Do you want to be my friend? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. Like Taking the actions, right? Taking the stand. Yeah, that's powerful. I When I went through my coach training, one of the books we had to read was about trust. And one of the core... <laughs> I, I'm going to reserve my comments about the book, but, um, but, and one of the key messages <laughs> was, um, that was really so powerful. And I think that was really the point of the book, right? Is that trust isn't, I'm not as great with the the grammatical terms, but trust isn't a noun, it's a verb. And that in order to have trust, you have to give trust. And it was just a really complex and sophisticated breakdown of a simple concept is that and and even my friend Susan Finnerty who teaches corporate programs about influence and trust and matrix organizational environments and so forth is like you kind of have to give trust to get trust right like as you said you can't just sit there um you know waiting on everybody to trust you without you know extending some trust same conversation with respect and so forth right i mean what would you acknowledge yourself for I love the way I love, but also I I acknowledge myself for just really good at songwriting. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I don't know why. Like I'm not. I'm actually really not trying to sell people on my songwriting, but it's just something that I'm really proud of myself at, about for like in this very moment because mm-hmm. I've been working on my music lately and I've been like reviewing like old songs and trying to produce them for who I am now. And I'm like, this is 
really freaking good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've kind of just been in that space. So I've been celebrating that. And then my growth um, from like hearing a, a germinal idea, thinking that I would never be the one to produce it to now being the person who's producing it because I've developed that skill. Like I'm celebrating that. I'm I'm out there like I'm doing amazing at that. And nobody's got to hear it yet. Uh, that's because, you know, it's a process. But I'm like, wow, Nina, look at what you're doing. It's kind of dope. It's 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 an underrated skill. I've underrated it for myself because I I do it. But I do realize that that's not something that everybody can do. Everybody cannot just grab pitches out of the air and put them into a way that will bring tears to someone's eyes by listening to it. You know what I mean? That's not a thing. Everybody cannot just string words together in the way that I can. And and that's something that I'm amazingly good at. There are many things that I'm not amazingly good at. You know what I mean? So I'm not sitting here bigging myself up in a way that I'm better than anybody. I'm just glad. I'm, I love that. I would celebrate myself for that. I'm good at that. I'm good at conveying things and you breaking things down to your smallest atomic particle and just being like, here you go. You get it. Got yeah. it. <laughs> and it, it works out. Well, there's so much beauty in that. And, and I acknowledge you for that, right? Because it's you, it's yours. You should celebrate it. Right. And, and, and if everybody could celebrate the things that they bring into this world, then, you know, imagine what we could be as a people, but this is you, your platform. And you even said earlier, you know, one of the first thing you shared was things you shared was that, you know, it can be years later and I listen to my music and I still learn something new. And that's, that's amazing. That is wonderful. That what a wonderful gift to have. So I will reinforce, I'll raise, I'll see your acknowledgement and raise you an acknowledgement. <laughs> well, Amina, where can people find you? Where would you direct people to? Um, AmiraChantel.com backslash links. But if you just go to AmiraChantel.com, you can find me and everything is at AmiraChantel on social media on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, but my TikTok got hacked actually. So, so you can search Amira Chantel and you should still find me, but the at name is, I can't change it for 30 days. But if you click the link on my website, it should get you, it, you can find me. I, everything is interconnected. It's all Amira Chantel. It's A-M-I-R-A-H-S-H-A-N-T-E-L. Yeah, we'll have it in the show notes so they can click on the link. And I will second that by saying, for sure, they can find your music on Spotify. And where else can they find your music? Spotify, um, Apple Music, Bandcamp. I prefer Bandcamp because you can buy it from me and I'll make money. Okay, yes. <laughs> all of them, all of, almost all of the songs are on Bandcamp, but I, my la- I think my last single, I need to, haven't put up yet, but I'm hoping that by the time this gets posted, it will be... Um, on Bandcamp. But yes, Bandcamp is where I prefer people get my music, but you can get, also get my website as well, americhantel.com. But Bandcamp is a lot easier for me to upload. So it's probably more music on Bandcamp than any than um, in my website. But yeah, I always say Bandcamp, but if you just want to stream it, I never tell people they have to buy my music. Like, I want you to have it, even as for, if it's for free. But then if you want to give me some money, you know, cost a lot of money to be an artist. <laughs> absolutely. So. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, the, the call to action from Amina and from Paul, like definitely go where you can support her financially and and go where you can enjoy this wonderful music because it really is beautiful. Um, acknowledgements. So I do this on every episode um, with every guest and I extend the invitation for, for them to not only have spent this time talking about their own experiences and their own stories, but also who might be important to you to lift up, to boost, to promote, and and give voice to somebody else who maybe is isn't always getting the recognition they deserve. Who who would you acknowledge? 
a shout out to my candle lady, <laughs> um, beautiful candle company called Amethyst Soul Home. I have been buying candles from her for a few years, and she is just one of the sweetest people. Um, she writes these sweet notes on the card, the like inside the candle thing. She makes these amazing fragrances. She actually just came out with two new fragrances last month, and um, they burn so clean, and the fragrances are so unique. And um, again, I. I have a thing about buying things from people mm -hmm. and not corporations. <laughs> and so she's a, I, we talk on Instagram, like she's a person, she, she's a black, a black lady living in LA, I believe. So, um, Jalene Williams. Yes. Very sweet. I'm like, when I tell you, she's just one of the sweetest people I've encountered. My candle lady, she keeps my home felt smelling fresh and buy candles from her, please <laughs> support her. I was outside of drip coffee, drip, drip espresso. Um, the first day I checked out drip espresso here in Sacramento, there was, um, Barry and time jam maker outside and and so both of those places too, for me, but Barian Time, Jams, when I tell you those are some of the best things you'll put on your tongue, it's like, you know, somebody made it with love. And again, I like supporting people, not corporations. So I love Smuckers, but I would rather buy Barian Time. <laughs> and I know, and I'm not getting paid for this advertisement, guys. This is like real. <laughs> See? Ask Paul. And I've had these jams too. So Erin Aaron sells at the uh, Sacramento market, but you can also buy on her website. It's going to be, the links are on the um, the show notes. And a shout out to these powerful, because what these all have in common is these are black women owned businesses. So we've already given a shout out to Jalene, but also a shout out to Erin at Barry and Time and Jasmine, Kiona and Taylor at Drip Espresso, which by the way, um, I just recorded an episode last week and that guest, Cami, also shouted out Drip Espresso. Well, Amina, thank you. What uh, just a, a, a rich and and just insight packed um, conversation and your story is amazing. Thank you for being on the episode. Of course. Thanks for having it's, me. It's 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 good. It's good stuff. And I've you know, I you've been watching me sitting here writing notes, obviously part of it's for the show notes and part of it's for my own journal prompts. So yes, ma'am. Thank you um, for being on the show, Amina, and have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And we, we, I will personally be talking to you very shortly. What an honor it is to witness these stories from these amazing human beings, and today's guest was no exception. I invite you to think about what you learned from this conversation. What stood out for you? What challenged you? What inspired you? And I encourage you to write it down in some form of journaling and reflection. I can't tell you how magical it can be to set aside your expectations and just let your thoughts flow out of your head and onto paper. You don't have to have an agenda. You don't have to do anything with it, but you can be amazed at what comes out of your thoughts and onto paper and what that can do for you. I know freestyle journaling has been a powerful practice in my life for a very long time. You just never know what you might discover about yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of Off The Comma. Follow me on social media at Off The Comma and also look for upcoming workshops and events at offthecomma.com or better yet, go to offthecomma.com and sign up for 
for my mailing list and let me bring the news directly to you. I am passionate about keeping this podcast ad free so that we create a safe container for people to be able to tell their stories uninterrupted by commercials and promotions. I currently cover all the production costs and I'm happy to continue doing so. And I'm also open to and appreciative of any donations that anyone would like to contribute. This is nothing more than to be able to support the podcast and cover some of the monthly editing and producing and equipment costs that are associated with this podcast. So look for the donations link in the podcast descriptions wherever you find this podcast. Be sure to like this episode, follow the podcast, and more importantly, spread the good word. If you were moved by today's conversation, pass it along to someone you care about. As always, keep noticing.